Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. everyone, this is your host Kelly from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Today, our storyteller is Jessica, and many of the storytellers you've heard on this podcast grew up in church, many becoming believers early on in their lives. And I would say the vast majority grew up here in the South, but Jessica experienced a very different upbringing, and I think that makes her story stand out from some of the others. But like most of us, she had a deep desire to be known, to have a place to belong. We all have that longing to find our people, our tribe. Jessica shares how she thought she'd finally found her identity in her community as an army wife until suddenly she was an army widow. This story involves sorrow, but it also is a beautiful love story with details woven throughout it that could only have been orchestrated by a higher power. And when Jessica discovered God in his word and realized that she was completely and totally known by the creator of the universe, everything changed for her. This is a story that had me hooked on every word that was spoken. And I almost envision like a movie playing out in my mind. Um, It's just, it's beautiful. And I look forward to you hearing it. Here's Jessica. So I'm Jess and uh, I'm so thankful and honored to be able to share this story. It's been um, a lot of years that have been kind of stirring in my heart to to kind of put words to what's in here and in here, um, to be able to get it out. And it's been difficult, but I, um, I think the Lord's really been calling me to it. And this is a, um, just an opportunity that I'm really thankful for. Um, when I was preparing, I, I want, I, a memory kept coming to me that I wanted to, to start off with. Um, so September 24, 2007, I was sitting with my dad on a curb alongside of a little side road um, in Arlington National Cemetery. And we were sitting on the curb underneath this archway called the McClellan Gate. Um, If you look it up, it's actually got a really neat history at Arlington. And there's um, some engraving on both sides of it. And the one I was looking up at um, had these words on it. So I'm going to read them to you. It says, rest on embalmed and sainted dead, dear as the blood ye gave. No impious footsteps here shall tread on the herbage of your grave. Um, so I'm sitting there with my dad, which was kind of strange anyway, because we, we hadn't spent that much time together. Um, we had just had Ethiopian food, but I hadn't eaten for about two weeks. So it was just a strange day. And I'm sitting there and I just was thinking, reading those words, how am I going to put my husband in the ground tomorrow? Um, so it was just, it was just a, a, a moment that I'll never forget. And, um, And I knew that at that moment, after that next day, that nothing would ever be the same again when he was finally buried. Um, So 
That's kind of hard to start off with, I know. <laughs> um, if it makes you feel better, as I was reading those words, I didn't know what any of it meant. It just, it felt sacred, and I knew it meant something, but it just was, um, it was just a hard day, and my heart was completely broken. So I'll start with some background. Um, but I want to be so careful when I share uh, part of my background. It seems like a simple enough uh, idea to share part of your childhood. Um, but my childhood was was very hard. And so I want to be very respectful to my, my parents and my family. And um, I want to honor them. Um, but I just... I, I ha, it's, a, it's a hard story to share. So um, I was born into uh, a family that had already been torn apart by generational abuse. And um, Christ was not at the center of our, our family's life. Um, and to my memory, Christ wasn't actually a part of it at all. I have no... Um, context for for God or faith or religion or relationship um, in my childhood at at all. Um, I wasn't taught to pray. Um, I wasn't taught the scriptures or the word of God. Um, I didn't know that you could put your trust in a God who loved you and your hopes and your fears, and uh, there was no um, community. So, um, we didn't have any any community at all, much less biblical community, which is such a, a wonderful thing. So life for me when I was a kid was very scary and very lonely. Um, I'm the middle child of three kids. Um, I have an older sister and a younger brother. And when I was little, my dad was in the Air Force and my mom what, became a nurse when I was about in first grade. And um, so now I have to tell you here, I'm going to be probably... Um, dropping a lot of state names because we moved a lot. You're not going to be able to follow it, so don't even try. And um, you'll be like, wait, what? Where, where did she say she went? Doesn't matter because it did, like we moved around. So I've lived in ten states and 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 one third world country, which is a, another story altogether. But uh, so just don't try to follow that. But just know we were moving around a lot. Uh, so we. When I was uh, around third grade, we went from Dover, Delaware to South Dakota. Um, my parents had separated, and we moved there. Um, my dad had ended up joining us there, and, and then after a couple of years uh, that we were there, my, uh, my parents divorced. So I was about 11 years old, and my mom and dad got divorced, and... My dad moved with my soon-to-be stepmom to Florida, back where he was raised, and we stayed with my mom in South Dakota. And um, after the divorce, my mom really um, just in... In, in new life for her, we just kind of went down a, a different journey into a culture that was unfamiliar. Um, and um, she remarried. And um, at, at all of that and all of these transitions, there was just a hole, a really really big hole in my life for what family meant. Um, there was no, I never felt wanted or, um, accepted, uh, even in, in our family. It just felt, um, it was really hard and really lonely and scary. Um, so that kind of transitioned into school, as you can imagine. And then um, in high school, I began um, just kind of entering into really destructive patterns of sin. Um, so became um, a, a party girl and um, really apathetic, just about everything. Um, and also, so as you can imagine, that kind of transitioned into college. And so in college, um, on my own, I managed to, to make the 
you know, I went headlong into even more destructive patterns of sin. And, and honestly, it was selfishness, right? Just, just filling my life with whatever pleased me, but at the same time, completely hardening myself towards any vulnerability whatsoever, because I didn't know how, how to be that way. I didn't know how to be vulnerable. Um, and so I just lived this life that was, um, solely in the moment for myself and completely devoid of any truth, um, and beauty. And there was no goodness at all. Um, so, um, this is where we come to when I, I met Tell. So my, my first husband's name was Yance Tell Gray. Um, three one syllable names. I remember telling him that drove me a little bit crazy. Um, and uh, he told me to call him Tell. Uh, he preferred that uh, rather than Yancey, which is what everybody called him. So, and I was like, I, I prefer that too, so I'll call you Tell. <laughs> so, but the way we met was I was on a break from school. I was in nursing school, and I was working at a... Um, like a feed store in Montana. This was in Montana. And he had, um, he actually, I, I had met him in October of 2002 and I didn't re- really remember this. So I was going through my story. He had come in with a friend to, to meet, um, a girl that he had dated and she went, she wanted anything to do with him, but I was friendly. And so I was chatting with him and I remember him saying he'd be home that Christmas for a break. And, um, I said, well, Hey, I'll be 21 then. So we can, you know, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go have some fun or something like that. Um, so he did come back and I remember him coming into the store and, um, milling around and kind of putting things up on the counter. Um, and just, he wasn't leaving and, and he was trying to talk and telling me about, um, him being in the, in the army, which I had no reference for that. My dad had been in the air force, but the military was not a part of what I had grown up with. And so I wasn't impressed. I didn't care what, I didn't know what he was talking about. And it wasn't impressive to me. And the life I had been living, I was ready to hurt boys. And so, um, I was like, let's, you know, whatever, you know, tell me whatever. I'm not impressed, but I can, I'll break your heart. And that's, that was the goal I had. Um, and so he, he asked me out that evening, um, and I was like, that's fine. And so I, I had planned on not having, um, not letting him drop me first. And so that was going to be my plan. Um, but then the next day he called me and he still wanted to hang out with me and he still wanted to hear my voice and talk to me. And then the next day, and the entire time he was on leave, um, before his first deployment, he wanted to, he wanted to see me. Um, this was completely new for me. I hadn't had anybody ever want to, to have anything to do with me, um, or, or see me or even want to hear anything I had to say. So, um, I didn't really know what to do with any of that. So he asked if I'd write letters and I was like, sure. Well, so he's, he deploys to Afghanistan and this is January of 2003 and, um, and it's gone about eight months and we write letters and letters and hundreds of letters. And I learn every detail and he keeps writing and I'm telling him details and he's not, there's nothing that was turning him away from me. And he knew, he knew me for the first time in my entire life, a person wanted to know about who I was. And this was, um, it was completely completely new to me. Uh, so by the time he come home in that, that August, I was completely in love with him, um, just over letters, which was weird. So from that point, I had only seen him three more times. He, he had come home in that August and we saw one another. I saw him in October. And then over that Thanksgiving break, I had flown out to, he was in North Carolina at Fort Bragg. 
had flown out there and we um, spent Thanksgiving together. And then he came back to Montana because that's where he was from uh, for that Christmas of 2003. And we were driving, um, his parents have a ranch and we were driving out to the ranch for Christmas Eve and he pulls up on this hill and, and gets out of the truck. And uh, I didn't actually have this written in here to share, but um, it's, I, I still think of it. And, and so I think I should share it with you. Um, so we're standing and this is um, in Eastern Montana. So there's no trees anywhere. You know, there's some bluffs and generally it's like, it's just this weird ranch land. Um, and so for me, it's hard to get pretty, but sometimes it can be pretty when the sun is going down. So we go up on this hill and he stops his truck and, and, uh, we're standing there and he's like, don't you love the sunset? And I was like, yeah, no, I prefer sunrise. And he's like, but isn't this beautiful? I was like, I mean, but it's okay. Cause sunrise is like, cause I'm a runner and I was always up running at, the, at sunrise. And, um, and so he's like, I know, but then isn't this beautiful? I just, this, this whole scene. And I turned around, I was like, what are, why are, why are you insistent? And so then he was, he was proposing to me and, uh, so that's why he really wanted me to enjoy the sunset. And so now I do. Sunsets are beautiful. And so that evening, so he proposes, and I was like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to marry you. And um, so then that evening, he, he says, I have an idea. And I was like, okay. And he said, what if we got married tomorrow? And I was like, tomorrow's Christmas. And how are we going to do that? He goes, okay, what about the day after? And I said, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Um, and so the courthouse is open the day after Christmas. At least it is in eastern Montana in Miles City. And so we, um, he and I and his brother and, and, um, and his wife, we all go to the courthouse because you need witnesses. Um, <clears throat> and I'm just winging it this entire time. I have no I, I didn't... I, I, didn't, I, I can't believe that that made such perfect sense. And now living in the South, number one, and, and being a believer, I see that marriages are important. God loves marriage, and he loves how we honor marriage. But I hadn't been brought up like that. And so for me, I love this boy. I want to marry him. That's what you do. Makes perfect sense. So we... Um, so we go to the courthouse and, and get married. And I really wanted to kind of um, make a note here that, because uh, this has never left me, I dishonored my mom greatly at this time. My mom and I didn't have a close relationship because there were so many years of, of just hardness and bitterness that had been growing. And, and, um, and I dishonored her in a lot of ways because I was living for myself. So her opinion, whatever she had to say, it didn't matter. I was living solely for myself. Um, and But it's, never, it's not lost on me that I, I married a man and did not share that with my, my mother. Um, and so since then, I've apologized. And it hurts me because whether our parents are, are great or, or not, we are called to honor our mother and father, and I didn't do that. Um, so it's important for me to share that because, um, because that was not right. Um, so anyway, so we get, we get married and he deploys again and I finished nursing school and he gets out of the military. We move. Well, he says, well, do you want to stay in Montana? And I said, no, not really. Do you No. Uh, where do you want to go? I don't care. So we moved to Louisiana cause that's naturally the next place you'd go from Montana. <laughs> and so we moved to Louisiana. This is my first nursing job. I couldn't understand a single person down there. <laughs> and, um, and, but anyway, our time in, in Louisiana was about a year long and, and it was really spent watching Band of Brothers and Full Metal Jacket and I we spent our every waking minute that I wasn't at work at Barnes and Noble finding books on military history. He he was a reader like I've never seen anybody. Um 
read before. And so we spent most of our time doing that. And one day I just knew his heart was still wrapped up in the army. He'd had two deployments. He, he enlisted before 9-11. So he enlisted when he was 17. His parents signed a waiver. He'd always wanted to be a paratrooper and it just doesn't go away that easily. And so I asked him if he wanted to go back and he said he really did. And so we, um, he he reenlisted uh, in New Orleans, I think, is where we were, and then there we went, uh, and we drove out to Fort Bragg in May of 2005, um, and so then. Um I became an army wife, and I was really good at it. Um, and so I, I want to, to kind of share about what it looks like to be an army wife when you don't grow up with community. So when you are never seen or accepted and all the times we moved around and all the places we were where I couldn't fit, I couldn't make the culture that my mom had kind of, ha- that we went into after she remarried, and I just couldn't fit. It. I, but then came the army and you get an ID, you know, and it says who you are. And then I was called Gray's wife. Like that was my new name was Gray's wife. And I got on to, to post, you know, me with my ID. I had access to something. So I was special and this, and I ate every bit of it up. Um, and, and so life at, at Bragg was, for me, I loved it. Um, even though he was gone, he was gone a lot because they'd go out into the field or they're in some trainings or whatever. And um, I loved every bit of it. So um, that was a, a community that I, I, I settled into real, really, really nicely. Um, so I was attached to tell. Um, he was a beautiful man and he had a beautiful purpose. And to me, the sacrifice was worth it. So it was a worthy sacrifice to be, um, to be called his. Um, and so I also, that feeling of being seen and known was made because, um, because you're the army. So you're, you're, you're set apart from the rest of, of the culture. And so you're seen differently if, um, uh, the world sees you. And I was known by his guys, like in his platoon or his squad and, um, and then by the other wives and we would meet together. So it was, for me, it was something that I, I knew I I could do for the rest of my life. Um, so, uh, fast forward, uh, another year into 2006 and, um, we're living there. I have a nursing job and he's working and, and gone for several things. And then we find out he's going to be deployed, which we were expecting. Um, and so the day comes where he's going to, to leave and they're going on this torch deployment. It's only supposed to be six months. And, uh, that morning I woke up, um, just barfy, just, it was awful. I was so sick and I had been barfy in the mornings before because of my, my previous life. And so, um, but this felt a little different and I went, something went right. And I, I was like, it's not going away. Um, and I, and, and, and he had to leave that afternoon. Uh, so we're packing and I know he has to go. We have to get on to, on to post. And I said, I wonder if I'm pregnant. Um, I was like, Oh, that'd be funny. Wouldn't it? <laughs> like the day you leave, I'm, I'm a pregnant. Yay. And he goes, yeah, but maybe we should get a, a pregnancy test. And so he goes out and gets four and they're all positive. And I'm, I'm walking out of the bathroom and I was like, number four. And he, he goes, high five. And, and I just remember thinking that 
that's not, that's, this isn't how that's supposed to happen. Um, and so he, he, we say goodbye and it wasn't that hard to say goodbye because, um, you just live by this idea that they're coming back. And uh, so we say goodbye, and my mind is a little occupied because I have this a human growing inside of me, and I can't even, I don't even know what to do with that. Um, but it's only six months. He's going to be gone six months, so we can do this. So he leaves, and I enter into learning what it means to be pregnant by yourself. Um, and uh, he does come back. So six months later, so December 2006, he, they come back, and... Um, it was a little awkward because I changed. I looked a little different. And, um, and, and, and when they come back, I mean, it's this massive countdown. You want to look as best you can. So I remember I was trying to like hide my, my five month or six month long belly, which I don't know. I, now that I say that, I can't remember why I thought that was a good idea, but I was trying to wear something that like masked it as if you could hide that you're pregnant. Um, and he knew it too. So I don't know what I was, I don't know what I was doing. Um, but he comes back and, and I felt, okay, okay, we can do this. We're going to be a family. Um, but that the next day he finds out they're going right back. So in 2006, 2007, president Bush had, um, kind of initiated a surge of troops and the 82nd is always considered part of that. Like they, uh, that's just, they're, a, um, a, a ready force. They're always ready to deploy. And, um, and so they needed them to come back for, um, back to Iraq, but for a different mission. And this one was, um, they did not have an end date. So they were just going to go and we were just going to play it by ear. Um, and so we had 22 days. They said, you've got 22 days, um, like a leave to, to spend together. And then they're going back. And so he says, um, we never did get a honeymoon. Um, well, we loped, and so that was kind of our fault anyway. But we uh, we didn't get a honeymoon. He said, "Let's go to D.C." I've never been to D.C. Let's just it's it's easy. Um, and so uh, we got the books. You know the travel books. Um, now we all use the internet, and I'm I know we have the internet, but he and I just had never been really savvy at that. And so uh, we had the the travel books, and we circled everything we were going to see, and we were all ready to go, and had our map to to drive up um, to D.C. And as we were going, um, and he really wanted to see Arlington never been to Arlington. And as we were going, his first sergeant had called and said, um, uh, they've actually cut it back. We're moving, leaving in four days. And so we had to turn around. And so he, he was so angry because he never got to see, or he had wanted to see DC. Um, and I said, it'll be okay. We'll just, every month we'll just count down, you know, I'll count down 30 days at a time for whenever you're coming back. Um, and then, of course, we were pregnant, so we weren't going to find out what the baby was, and um, but we moved everything up and found out we were having a girl, and we gave her a name, and he said, okay, I'm going to try to make it back for R&R. So anyway... Um, he, he, he leaves and we just, just start playing everything by ear and pregnancy is going along and we, we figure out they're not coming back. So he may, he schedules, um, an R and R, which is like a two week break that they get. Um, and it ends up being, um, right after. So I, I was, um, it, her due date was April 1st. And I think he had, he knew he could come back on the fourth or fifth. And, uh, so I, I have no, the eighth, I'm sorry. It was the eighth because I was late with her. Um, and so I have Ava and he's on speakerphone and, um, 
I'm in labor and he's talking and I was annoyed by his voice even on the phone <laughs> and um, but I uh, my mom was there and and I am so thankful but I didn't want my mom there and I hate that I didn't want her there because I wanted him there and he couldn't be there and I I'm I'm so thankful um, and I'm so upset that I was not happy at that time. Um, but she's born, and he comes in four days uh, later. My friend Candy had picked him up because when they come on R&R, it's a domestic flight. So they it's not um, into green ramp or anything like that. And so she says, I guess I'll go to the hospital. Because I'm still in the hospital. I haven't been discharged yet because um, we were still there. Ava had jaundice. And... Uh, she said, I'll go get him from the airport and, and bring him back. And, um, and so he comes into the hospital room and I was standing there in the mirror. Um, I had just had a baby, but something in me was like, what, what is all of this stuff that's in front of my belly? And so I stood in the mirror in the hospital room and I was doing like side bends trying to like, <laughs> I was like, how do I make it go away? But the, what I, it was just this weird, I, I was wanting to be who I was before um, because he missed the entire pregnancy. So he didn't know what I looked like. And I had all this stuff in front of me and um, all this stuff up on top that wasn't there before. And everything, it was just so, I was so uncomfortable. And here he comes and he hadn't showered since Baghdad. And so he smells of war and looks like that. And he wanted to pick her up right away. And I was like, can you wash your hand? It was just this odd, horrifically awkward time. And we, we go back to our house and <clears throat> he sleeps for forever. Um, and those two weeks were really hard. They should have been sweet, but you have a baby and your emotions are all over the place. Um, I had, um, I, this the downstairs stuff was new to me and painful, and so I was trying to manage all of that and nursing and emotions and and both of us were just sad because he had to go back. He had to go back. We had a baby, and he had to go back. Who was going to help me? And he had to leave. And this time, I didn't want him to go because this is my family that I was looking forward to having. And he had to go back. And so um, <clears throat> that day came that he. Um, the, the end of the R&R &R was over, and we were at the airport there in, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and and he leaned over and kissed Ava. I, have, I do have a picture of him with his backpack on and kissing Ava, and, um, and I remember thinking, he's going to kiss her when she's bigger, and... And, and she'll like see him and that will be different because she was, she was two weeks old. And then he kissed me and I was like, I'll see you later. Please come home. Um, and he, and he never did. So, um, but I, he, I lived still by faith in tell and not by sight. Okay. Because I had attached myself to him and I belonged to him. Um, and, and he was my savior. Uh, and so I lived by faith that he was coming home and not by sight. And, um, and I hung on to everything that he always had said to me. Um, and so he said three things. Um, um, two of them were on the phone and one of them was in a letter. And the, t the first two, one day we were talking and he said, um, if something happens to me, I, I want you to bear me in Arlington. And I was like, that's stupid. And, um, and he said, and, and I'd, I, I want you to remarry because, um, Ava would need a daddy. 
And I was like, oh, this is such an awful conversation. We cannot be having this. Um, and then in a letter um, that I found several years later after I'd become a believer, um, I had forgotten we talked about this. He said he wanted to go to church when uh, when he got home. And I couldn't wait because that's what real families did, right? They went to church. They were clean. They were whole. And it was this filling up of what I had always been longing for, this, this family that I, I really wanted. Um, and so I remember being excited about church. Um, I didn't really know what it meant. It just meant that we were going to be this clean family, uh, that I hadn't ever grown up with. So, um, um, so a few months pass. Ava has her first Fourth um, of July at Fort Bragg. They do a, a very big show. It's so exciting. And I had a little outfit for her and would take pictures of everything for him and um, and then send them to him um, in letters and care packages. Um, and then September came, and we were weary by this point because at this time, um, in, not including those you know eleven days he was home or whatever, but um, I mean, it had been gone over a year. And <clears throat> so I had been over Labor Day weekend with my mom in North Carolina, and she was a traveling nurse, and I was staying with her. And um, it was just melancholy. It was a, a melancholy weekend. Ava's first time at the beach and, and putting her little toes in the water. And But I do remember laying there on the night before September 10th. Lay, uh, I was in the bed with my mom, um, uh, just at this beach house that she was, uh, staying in for her, her nursing assignment. And I laid there and I, I, I remember feeling like, please make this family come together. And, and I was thanking somebody. I don't, I wasn't praying cause I didn't know how to do that, but I, I was like, I remember laying there thinking, thank you for this Please don't make it change. Prior to that, we had had a friend that had been shot in the head on, when they were on a mission. Tell was uh, infantry, and so they were always out, and there was a lot of uh, uh, combat that he had seen. And so I, it, I had Jeremy on my mind, and um, and it, and they had um, they had just had some losses, and so I thought, please, 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 my family's coming together. Please don't make this change. Um, so I go back, uh, drive back to to. Fayetteville the next morning and um, just felt off. And I had had a friend call and say, hey, did you know, uh, has Tell called you? And I was like, no, I haven't talked to him since Friday. Um, and we did talk on Friday. He was like, well, you, I better let you go so you can pack. You and Ava have the best time at the beach. And he said, I love you, Lobster. And I used to watch Friends and Phoebe. Okay, so that's, anyway, that was the last words he said to me were, I love you, Lobster. And uh, he, but uh, this friend had called and she she said, um, did you know, had, had he, have you heard there was an accident? And I said, no, um, I haven't heard from him, but um, he'll call and let me know if there's an accident. And they're not supposed to call if there's a death. So, so I was sure I would hear from him. Um, and so I get home and feeling weird about all of that. And I put Ava in her swing, um, to take a nap. And then I go into the little office room that we have and get on the computer because I knew if I saw Mikey Hardegree on MySpace, then that meant, and Mikey was in Tell's squad, then that meant everything was fine because, um, because Mikey was always online because he had a girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, Tell was never online, but I knew if Mikey was, and they were fine. Um, so I was looking, and it had said he hadn't been online for three days, and so I was confused, and then the doorbell rang. And so um, I, I walked through the house, and I had a happy fall sign in front of the 
peephole. And so I go into the laundry room and I like looked out to the side and I see two, uh, uniformed soldiers standing there. And, um, I was like, no, this, that's not, this isn't that. Cause that's, this is, that's not going, that doesn't happen you know, except on TV. Um, and at the time army wives was on, which, um, my friends and I would get together and completely criticize this show. And, um, and that happens on army wives. It doesn't happen to actual army wives. And, uh, so I, I was like, I, I have to go open the door. And so, um, I try, I actually did Google cause I couldn't remember what they said. Um, and I was asking Rhodes, what do they say? I, I can't really remember. And so what they say is, um, the secretary of the army regrets to inform you, um, that your husband, Yance, Staff Sergeant Yance Telgray has been killed in action. Um, and then they just kind of stand there. And I was like, no. And, uh, I just stood there, uh, because they said all of that. But what I, um, what I heard was, uh, you don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think they came in and I was saying no, like over and over thinking that if I say no, they're going to be like, I mean, he's not dead. It was an accident and he's okay, but they weren't saying that and they can't touch you and they can't tell you any details. And I was a little frustrated. And from that moment it's, it's, it's foggy. I was on the floor at some point and there are some, friends that then came around me and, um, they had been waiting down the street cause they were notified that, uh, because the captain's wife was notified first. And so then she came to be a part of trying to get to, um, the wives when they were, when they had gotten their notification. And, um, I was angry because it meant if, if Monique and Dana were there, then their husbands were alive. And so I didn't want them there. And they were trying to comfort me, and I was I was angry. Um, so the the next several days go really fast. And what I know now is that I was being held up by a strength I can't I can't um, describe. And it wasn't a strength as in like I can get through this. It was. Um, a strength to prevent me from going the direction that I was taught growing up, um, to losing myself and drowning myself in, in behaviors that would keep me from feeling anything. Um, and the Lord uh, prevented me from doing that um, because I needed to feel everything. So um, I, I needed to feel that pain in, in your chest when the, the degree of grief is so horrific that you feel like your chest muscles are ripping out of your body. And then, um, I needed to feel those tears on the floor that were just coming and I couldn't stop them. And it hurt to breathe. Um, because I had been living by faith and not by sight and now it was gone. And so I needed to, I couldn't, um, I just needed to feel something to open my eyes, um, to the reality that he wasn't coming home. Um, and so I had, um, to figure out at that moment, 
And I can put words to it now. Obviously, I couldn't then. But what was happening was my identity was being crushed completely. Um, and that's what God was. I know that he was holding me fast to, to feel the weight of the crushing um, so that I had a, a very real picture that um, everything I had built my life up in was not eternal. Um, and, and, the, and the actual realistic picture of this is in the military, when you, um, when you lose a spouse, um, you have one year to get off post if you live on post. We didn't, but that was just something I remember being told. Your ID changes because he's not a staff sergeant anymore. It's DEC. He's deceased. So that's your, you get a new ID card. Um, your benefits, like your, your paycheck, everything changes. So who you are is not who you were. Um, you're not identified as Gray's wife anymore. You're his widow, and you're not an army wife. You're an army widow. And so everything is, is very bold and uh, that you don't exist in this world anymore. You're not welcome. And I don't say that as in anybody made me feel unwelcome, but that's the real picture. Um, in fact, I have to say the military cares very well for, um, for widows, uh, at least in my experience. But the reality is, is that you don't exist in that world and they can't hold you up. Um, they have other people that need to be there. So, um, so for me, the, the funeral was that marker when he was in the ground um, that meant that everything changed. And um, so that day, in, uh, the day before when I was with my dad in Arlington, um, I knew the next day I would watch them lower him. And then um, I didn't have this in the, in, the, in the thing, but I think it's powerful because um, I didn't really cry at the funeral. And I don't know if you've seen pictures where they're sitting there and they hand you the flag. And I was just so numb to what was happening um, until when they begin to lower him and all the guys from his uh, units, they walk up and they salute and they just salute somebody that is going to never be there again. And the painful things is that people would tell me, we never thought Gray would die because he was a really good soldier. And so, um, and it might help y'all to, to know how he died. I guess I kind of forgot that. Um, he was, uh, they were coming back from a mission and it was early in the morning. And, um, and so the, the twilight or the, the, the light was a little bit off. And so they still had their nods on and the, the, the light from the stars is actually kind of power, not night vision uh, is kind of powerful. And so I think the driver of this big giant truck that they were in, um, was a little bit thrown off by the lights and the headlights of people coming into Baghdad as they were leaving to go back out to the the Ford operating base or the FOB. And, um, so they're kind of swerving around some, some barriers and there was a piece of concrete that had been kind of blown off of one particular barrier. And when the tire of the truck hit it, the, the startled the driver and he, he hit the gas and drove off an overpass. Um, and so it's like, um, where uh, 280 goes over 459. So just imagine that in that, uh, where you can kind of drive off of that. And so seven of them were killed that day, and um, and um, it was just a hard accident. In fact, afterwards, they took those types of trucks out of Iraq because it was up-armored. The, the weight was too much. It shouldn't have gone off of the overpass, but they had up-armored it to protect it from the IEDs, and it just had way too much weight, and so the weight of it just threw it off of the overpass. Um, 
And so I, uh, the funeral was a marker for me that this was, this was not my life anymore. And so when I got back, I had received a card from my friend Christy and, um, it has some Bible verses in it. And, um, there was uh, Psalm 139 in there. And I don't know what drew me to even open that card, but I, I opened it and there was, um, I'm just looking through these verses and I happen to have a Bible, which was weird. I think it was my mom's, which is weird. And I opened it and was looking through Psalm 139 and all I could see was, you know me, you know me, you see me, you know me, you know me before I was in my mother's womb, you know me. And I thought, only tell knew me. How did anybody else know me? And and is it possible that I could be known and loved and seen? And so I just read it over and over and over in a heap on the floor. And I know this is where God met me to remind me that he was watching all of this. And he was allowing it so that I would find who I was in him and not who I was in all of these attempts to find identity through my whole life. Um, and so... Um, where do you go from there, right? And and um, uh, so I just would read, and I started opening up the Word, and I didn't know what I was reading, but I just kept reading. And um, I can tell you now, if, if I could sit here and we could talk all day, and I could just list for you the, the ways the Lord's Word has just met me over and over, convicted me, um, but that would take a long time. I'm already taking a long time. Um, so I... I I know that uh, now, looking back, um, so to kind of fast forward, that November, um, the guys had finally come back from deployment, and we were all going to meet at Texas Roadhouse, and... and, there was, I knew everybody there, but I didn't know, uh, Lieutenant Roberts and I knew he had been in the accident and I knew who he was because I remember tell saying, we got a new LT. I, he's a country kid like me. I love him. He's like an enlisted guy's officer. Um, and I was, I remember being like, that's great. Um, and then when I met Rhodes that evening, I learned that, uh, Rhodes met Tell, uh, uh, Rhodes came into the unit, into Iraq the day Tell was leaving to come meet Ava. And so his first meeting with him, he was congratulating him on becoming a daddy. Um, and so, but we were sitting around the table and, um, he, uh, he had, uh, we all get our food and he asks a blessing over his food. And I had never really seen that before. And so I was like, I, he knows something that I don't. And so, um, I wanted to be friends with him and I pursued him in friendship. Uh, I asked him to go grocery shopping with me. He, (laughs) and, um, I remember asking, I thought he was new to Fort Bragg and I remember saying, do you know where the mall is? I can help you find the mall. He had lived there for three years. And so (laughs) I just, I just wanted to be his friend because I wanted to know what he knew. He was so quiet and meek and confident in a way that I had never seen, um, before. And anyway, so, uh, we start becoming friends and, I start asking him these things about the Christian faith. And then I, I was, I was trying to attend this church that I thought was beautiful. Cause that's what I thought you went to a church that was pretty from the outside. Um, but they weren't reading the Bible. I would bring my pink Bible that I bought and I was so excited. And every time I'd go, they wouldn't open it up. And I was, I was super frustrated. Cause I was like, y'all are saying these, these words and these songs and I'm, I'm mouthing it with watermelon. I don't know what you're saying. Like the apostles, everybody knew these things. And then I'd get ready to open the Bible and nothing was happening. And so, I asked him if they read the Bible in his church and he was like, well, yeah. And so, um, I said, can I come with you? So we started going to church together and Roach just showed me everything. 
and then at one point I, I, I said, I like this person. Um, Tell told me to get remarried, and I'm going to pursue him. And um, and I had read in in the word that younger widows are to remarry, not burn with desire or passion. And I wanted a family. Um, I loved what I was about to have, and I really wanted a family. And so I I told Rhodes. Um, one night on the, I had called him on the phone and I said, um, I'm just, I'm just calling because I'm going to tell you that I like you. And that feels weird, like middle school, but there it is. And, and he was like, well, you're a pretty lady. And, um, <laughs> and so he, he, uh, but he never came over to my house by himself. He would babysit Ava. He asked me to teach him how to change diapers. And he, he just loved us well in this way that I didn't know, um, men could be. I never got to see Tell as a daddy. So um, the way that he cared for Ava was unfamiliar to me. And the way he talked to me, we would have conversations. I didn't really see that between my parents growing up. Um, and Rhodes was interested in me. Um, but there was a deep, a deepness there that um, I was cautious. And so um, that... I couldn't place him above this new, this God that I was learning about. Um, and so I was always very careful to check my emotions and my feelings for Rhodes against how I felt about God. Um, so I would go to church with him. And um, and one thing about our, our relationship together was that we had um, sorrow together. He was in the accident that killed Tell. He was in the front of the truck. Uh, he was the platoon leader. And so all the seven guys were guys that were in his platoon. And so he lost a lot of guys that day. And he went over at the overpass and he said he put his hand forward and he knew he was dying, but he's a Christ follower. And so for him, he felt, he felt okay with it. Um, and so Rhodes and I have had a, a relationship that's been marked by a lot of tears. We've sat together a lot and just cried. Like when people are newly married and they go do fun things, well, we had a baby and um, grief, and that's what we did, um, and and it was real private and personal, and not a lot of people knew about it, and and there were a lot of people that didn't approve of of me moving on within a year, and I understand that, um, but the Lord pushed hard on. Um, on the reality that this was the right direction um, because what Jessica would do normally was the wrong direction. Um, so from there, um, we moved to Charleston. He got out of the military. We moved to Charleston, South Carolina, because we loved it there. And that was my first real biblical community. So finally, I could see what I was learning in the military was actually pointing to community in Christ. Um, I would sit in my first small group. And I remember when I discovered First uh, Timothy 3.16, or I, I think that's what it is um, that all scriptures breathed out by God. And I, was, I said, did y'all know this was in the Bible? <laughs> and they didn't laugh at me. They, they, which is fine that y'all do. But like, I, they were like, yes. And I said, this means that he wrote this. And this is stuff that people know growing up. I, I, I forgot to mention, I wanted to be very clear. Let me, let me point out how, how foreign this was to me. I didn't know what Christmas was. Um, until I was 
married to Rhodes. Like he explained Christmas to me. I knew there was Jesus as a baby. I don't know why it was important. I had no idea why every year this was a big deal. And then there was Santa. So where did that, like, I couldn't marry those two together. Um, so imagine my, my befuddlement with Easter, like what in the world? There was a cross and a bunny and I couldn't, I couldn't, I had no, I, I literally had no idea what those were. I wasn't taught any of that stuff. Um, and so this is where, uh, becoming a wife and a mother in the Christian faith was foreign to me. How, how do you do that in community? How do you be a friend when gossip was so good, right? Gossip to me was beautiful. How do you be a friend in Christ? I had to learn how to to drop all that. So as the Lord met me, he met me even in conviction of sin. He met me when I was realizing that my life was spent on myself. And this took a lot, a lot of prayer and a lot of, um, um, a lot of pouring over my own sin and asking God to forgive me. Um, and so just to kind of wrap this up, like with, with, the reason why I can share today, which I haven't been able to do, is we um, adopted a little over just last January, actually, and adoption has um, ripped me apart into places um, my identity was still wrapped up in. Um, I still wanted a connection to the military that I just wasn't really ready to get rid of. Um, and I, I still wanted to share my story about tell, but not share with you the sin that existed prior to, but God wasn't saving me from grief. He was using grief to save me from sin. Um, and that's what he does. And he meets us in those places that mean something to us that, that open our eyes to who he is and that he sees and knows us and loves us anyway. Um, and so I, I, in, in the process of adoption and, and being at home, I was on the floor again um, in anguish over my, how can I be a parent? What am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I'm a believer. And those are, those are really hard feelings. And the Lord met me again and he said, now come and die. Come and die and live in me and me alone. And this was just several months ago. Um, so now I know that everything, my past... Um, I can share that with you without shame. Um, my present roles and hangups, they pass through that lens that I belong to, to Christ. Um, I'm not Gray's wife anymore, and I'm not the troubled lost girl, and I'm not Rhodes's wife or so-and-so's friend or Ava and Ellery and Leona's mama. I am a Christ follower, and it's no longer I who live, but uh, Christ who lives in me. questions for Jess. If anybody has a question, um, I think she's very open to answer. <laughs> um, so anyone? Anything? I'm just curious about your relationship with Tell. Mm -hmm. Not being a Christian marriage, but yes. you seemed like a really awesome guy that loved you deeply. Yes. So he was... Um, he apparently professed faith in Christ when he was a kid and was at, in church his whole life and in Bible, Bible camps and stuff like that. Um, we didn't live as Christians, and I wrestled with that for a long time. But um, he, his heart was very tender. I think the Lord used his tender heart um, to soften me to the idea of being loved. Um, and while he didn't... Uh, 
Now, this is, we're always a product of our upbringing. And so even though he was in church, there wasn't this, this now go and teach and tell and make disciples. And so he lived a, a, a decently moral life, um, but I still didn't know anything about the gospel. And uh, so he, our relationship wasn't built on Christ, but it was really, it was really whole and very sweet. Um, and so that, I hope that answers that. And I trust the Lord's goodness and his just judgment. And um, so I know that if the Lord uh, rescued him, uh, then I long to see him again. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else have questions? I'm sure I skipped over so much stuff. Um, Oh, and tell us about you, um, your daughter that you had with Red. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So now we have three girls from three daddies, right? Uh, so <laughs> Ava was five months old when Tell died. And then when Rose and I got married, uh, we got pregnant with Ellery. And she's eight now. And um, she's just this sweet, sweet little girl that... Um, when kids are raised in, in a home that there's been a death, she she asks things like, um, when she was really little, before she understood all of it, she's like, well, then do I have another daddy too? Like, Ava's got two daddies. Do I have... And and always called him Daddy Tell. We call him Daddy Tell. And, um, and so the story's really well known. She... The army life was way before Ellery, but we've gone to D.C. together, and she just takes it all in and sobs for her sister. Um, she just sobs for that, and she loves to look at pictures of him and, and see that. And Ellery's just a sweet, she has a tender heart. And then Leona's our little one from China that we adopted last January. And so she has a story also, and that's why I want to share this so that I can be um, a, a healed or healing um, believer to, to help Leona when she wrestles with her own stuff that she will inevitably do one day. Yeah. How, how old was, um, is it Ellery's Ellery the youngest one? Yeah. Leona. Leona's the youngest. And how old was she when you were, she fell adopted? She was almost three. Okay, so she was old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a little bit older, mm-hmm. which is fun. <laughs> so she'll be four in March, and she had cleft lip and palate, and so we've gone through surgeries, and she's, she's, she's a ferocious little girl. <laughs> Her name means lion. So, yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else have any questions? No. Thank you all. Thank so you. We're so glad you joined us today for Jessica's story, and what a great reminder to hear how God's Word is living and active, and how He can take Scripture that is so relevant to what we're going through, and how it can just breathe life and hope into our souls. We will be back next Wednesday with another episode. If you missed our announcement last week, we are now releasing new episodes on Wednesdays. And in the meantime, you can always connect with us or find more information on our website, storytellerslive.org. You can also go to our social media on Facebook and Instagram, and that account is at Storytellers Live. We are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we hope that you'll join us again soon.